today's episode is sponsored by Dance of Gamers. Dance of Gamers is the leading distributor of video games and other consumer gadgets like the podcast microphone sets, ring lights, headphones, and affordable smartwatches, and many other cool gadgets. For these and more, visit their website at www.danceofgamers.co. That is www.danceofgamers.co. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody. I want to thank everybody for supporting the Ugandan Boy Talk Show. I just want to put a reminder out that uh, we have our match in Kampala. We have our t-shirts in Kampala that you can now order and we can deliver them to you. We can uh, just give us a call and then we'll have these t-shirts delivered to you. Uh, we're also taking orders of the jumpers or some what you call sweatshirts. Um, you put in your order and we have the order for you. For everybody who is in Kampala, these are available. I'm going to put a number uh, in, down here on this video and you can contact them and have those t-shirts delivered to you so you can support and promote the Ugandan Boy Talk Show. Mujebale, Mujebale, Mujebale. My name is Bani Kibuka and welcome to another episode of the Ugandan Boy Talk Show. Well, welcome to my podcast. I'm glad to have you here. A friend of mine, Nabukela, recommended you to be on this podcast. Uh, what's your relationship with Leah? Leah is my queen mother. Okay. She is uh, the director, so she's the head behind this agenda. How long have you yeah. known her? Um, I knew her since I started the contest. That is last year in about October. That is when I got to know her here. And uh, without going further, do you mind introducing yourself to my listeners, your name and your title, so they know who we're talking to today? My name is Lois Kaviramasi Albright. I am the Miss Special Action Agenda from 2022 to 2023. So this is my town. Nice. Yeah. I, I knew that, but I wanted the listeners to hear from your words because they might think I'm making it up. So when you say it, they'll believe it. So uh, where are you from? I know you're from Uganda, obviously, because the name and people know on the podcast, I actually host a lot of people from Uganda. But where in Uganda are you from? Okay. I'm from Central Uganda. I'm, I'm Uganda by size, by time. Where did yes. I? Maybe but uh, I have a challenge that very many people tend to be like, no, you can't be one. Well, I am a Muganda. I come from Central Uganda. My village is Govero. It's a long Hoima road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So anything in future, that is where you come to bury me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, I know Govero. I grew up going to Govero uh, a lot. Chikandwa. Oh. Chikandwa, Govero. Namas, no, Namas, yeah. what's the place? Nah, <laughs> not Namasu, but I'm not confusing. There's a place that's with the N after, is it after Gobero? Somewhere. No, is this Namulamba? There's Namulamba. I had a project in Namulamba. There's, yeah. There's somewhere else. But yeah, there's a, <laughs> so in Gobero, there's a church because my dad is a pastor and we grew up going to a lot of churches wow. in that side. Like Chikandwa, Kachiki, oh. all those places. So I know Gobeo. Actually, that's something I ju- I'm just finding out now. I'm glad you talked about that. Um, but yeah, we there was a church, Gobeo Baptist. There was a church right off the highway. You take a right 
bali watunda one gonja like the saw gonja like on the on the road there back in the day and that church was by the very big chitogo right in govelo there I remember. I, I really, really did that place, but you don't know. I believe you. Such a mission, kind of. I've had a blast. When when did you leave Gobelo? How old were you when you left there? I didn't. I, okay, that's my village. I rarely go there. Okay. I rarely go there, but the first time I went there, that was before COVID. Like we just decided to visit the place, and they looked us down from that side. Wow. So I can imagine we had to spend some time there. We got acquainted with the place and yeah, it was nice. <laughs> the curfew. So if you yeah. did if you didn't grow up in Gobeto, where else did you grow up? Like in Kampala or what other place? I grew up in Kawempe. Kawempe, yeah. Then from Kawempe we shifted to Gaza Road. That is where we are till now. Yeah, but most of my childhood was in Kawempe. Is that where you went to school? What and what schools did you go to? I went to Kawempe Junior Nursery School there. Then after I went to Kawempe Modern. That is where I had that was from primary four to primary seven because I literally left Kawempe Junior going to primary four. Okay. Uh, I fell sick. I yeah, I fell sick. I think I was operated twice then. So after the whole trauma and everything that is when I moved to current to my dad. Yeah. Do you mind sharing with us what what was wrong? What happened? So when I was young, I think I was about six years. I I had a complication in my stomach, and I remember telling my mom, mm, "My stomach is paining, and you know how far it can be. Go to the toilet. Go to the toilet." So I actually told them, I mean, it's not a toilet. I feel real pain. And she's like, no, I first. Then the following day, I couldn't even get up from bed. So my dad came and ca- carried me from there. Then we decided to go to hospital. So they took long to figure out what was the problem. But then after the scan, they found out that I had appendicitis. Then we went to Mulago Hospital. Then the doctors were like, oh, this is a rare disease in young children because you can't tell me her appendix is full of stones yet. She's just six years. Mm-hmm. You get my point. Yeah. yeah, so they told they told them I should eat from then then because I was going for an immediate surgery. Then there had to be documents that were to be signed in case I died in the process, things like that, because it was a complicated situation. Mm-hmm. So the first operation, they had to, re- to reduce my blood. So I had hives all over my body, like sucking out blood. Then after like a period of, I actually can't figure out a period in between there after they finished, they got the amount of blood in my body that they wanted, I had to go for another operation. I think that was towards Christmas, because I remember I spent a period of like six months in hospital. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they operated me the second time until they removed my appendix. I can't, I can't, I can't shake, so. Yeah. Yeah. They removed it, like, in order for it never to come back. So after that, I had to relearn how to walk. 
Oh, wow. I couldn't walk after being bedridden like for six months. They had to teach me how to walk. I remember they used to uh, like hold me sideways. Like it used to be daily routine, practicing. I stopped eating ketchup. I used to like clay soil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was off the menu for me. Like I used to have something rice that like you just have to eat rice for a certain period. You know, it had things like for the recovery process. Like it took some time for me to resume eating normally. Even at school, I used to be a special case or like there were very many things. So I don't know. I think after hospital, I had a lot of appetite. Like I was yeah. just like three cups of porridge. Like three? I eat a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Even more than three sometimes. Like... My friends knew it, so they would get me more cups of porridge. I'd be like, "Want see more porridge?" I'd be like, "Yes, yes." So my mom got worried, but and I used to be very, very small. Like my bones were out. They used to take me for checkups if I had any disease because I was too small. Mm-hmm. So they would just be like, "Give her splash by Benna, like things to boost her immunity." And then in my form three, I I gained some weight. I'm, yeah. I'm actually fat right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, I am. Like, it was tough, but I thank God I went through it. The whole scenario, that, you know, the whole recovery process took like about eight months, whereby six months I was in hospital. Yeah. Did you like stop school for like a year and then went back after that, after you, you recovered, right? Yeah. yeah. That, is, that is why I mm. left them. Um, I went to junior school um, in my form four. Then I joined form four that whole year. Sorry, primary four. for primary four. Then when I went to Kawempe Modern again, I had to go back in primary four because I had literally not studied the whole year. I like to ask that because, like, for people who are listening, or for even some of your friends might not know about this story, but when you're having a conversation with somebody, it comes out, and people who are following your journey to where you are right now might not know what had what happened to you years back. Here you are, you're in pageant yeah. now, which requires cut walking, which requires walking on the, you guys call it, uh, I'm forgetting the word. Where, where do you guys walk on the, how do you call red that? Red carpet? No, the red carpet. When you cut walking, and I forgot the word, you, the models use like. Runway. Runway, yeah. So which runway. requires you to walk on the runway. And here you are telling us a story that you had to be taught how to walk again. So that's like a whole courage to give to somebody listening who thinks like they can't do it or they can't make it. But here you are where. At some point in your life, you had to be retold how to walk. So it's not pointless that you share this story here because it's going to encourage uh, somebody else. You told okay, us, did you tell us where you went, you went for high school? High school, I went to St. Mary's, Namaliga. It's a school in Bombo, and that is from my form one to my form three. Yeah, so the whole growing was in St. Mary's. Then after St. Mary's, I went to Trust High School. That was my form three. That is form three third third term. I'm going to third semester. <laughs> form three third term. 
to my form four. Then after form four, I went to St. George High School, then Castoria High School. That Kasturi. is where I completed my form six form. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, did you ever go to university? I am at Advanced International University, as I speak. Okay. Okay. That's my tuition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you studying at university? Yeah, I went to, I'm doing bachelor's degree in London property management. When was the time you realized that you wanted to do pageantry? And like, when, when was the first time you even got ideas of wanting to do pageantry? I've always had the fear of exposing my body. Um, the insecurities that came with the operation. Like, I'll be like, I cannot do that. Like, every chance that came, even at school, I would actually turn them down because of the insecurity. I felt like I'm not perfect enough to present myself up there. But then at the university, that is when the whole pageantry thing came in. Uh-huh. So I actually sat down when they told me that. The first thing I went to look at, the Bayerica as to put on bikini. That was the first thing that I went to through the whole scenario and requirements. Like, I really, really had that fear. Like, how will people see me? I have a scar on my body. I do not, the insecurity would like just come in. But then, I thank God I have a strong team. I have a team of people that will encourage you, that will push you, because the pageantry is not a joking matter. It is not what people see, the catwalk, the, the slaying. It's not that, like, it's real, real business. Oh, like, people bring down what they have, and you have to outcompete all of them. And you're not the prettiest. You're mm. not the most perfect, but... Oh, it was a whole, whole new experience. When I went into it, first I was looking for votes. I realized I had to be more humble, mm-hmm. more welcoming, more approachable. Like, I would go to, you know, in Uganda, uh, there are sessions of people that do chapati, Rolex, yeah. So uh, there are usually very many youth in that place. So I'd go talk to them football pictures, different campuses. Like, I'll go talk to them. Like, I really, really need your vote. How are people voting? Okay, people are voting through Facebook. And that is one challenge because most of my friends are not on Facebook. And they used to tell me, uh, if it was Instagram, we would have done it. It was a website, but it had to be through Facebook. But I feel like a lot of people have Facebook in Uganda. Like, more people will have Facebook than Instagram. The fact is that very many people were on Facebook before. Okay. But when the WhatsApp came in, the Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook has been abandoned. And then some people have their accounts, but they do not remember their passwords. Uh-huh. So in case you send them a link to vote from, like it would ask for their password. That was tough. Yeah, but then what I did, I went and posted the link on Facebook itself. So you would access it easily and you would vote easily. But voting was every day and took like about two months of voting. Let me read uh, some of your friends. Let me send a shout out to some of your friends who are in the building right now. 
Joshua yeah. Chisivo yeah. and Emmanuel. Actually, on the, the point we're talking about about Facebook, I'll read Emmanuel's comment. He said the other issue, the other point was our government closed Facebook in Uganda and you need VNP to yeah. access that. So actually, that will explain why a lot of people would use other platforms than Facebook because, yeah, I've heard of that. Like Facebook was closed by the since the voting last mm -hmm. years ago. Um, yeah. Yeah, it actually reminds me of some, some fellows that told me, I don't have VPN. Mm. So you have to convince them to actually download VPN on their phones and then go ahead to vote. So it had to be a lot of talking. Some people would really sit me down and start questioning me. So if we vote you, what are you going to do? What are your dreams? What are your plans? All of that. It was tough. It was really tough. That's funny because I also, I was part of. Uh, my podcast was nominated for the Paul's uh, Awards and getting people to vote. They were voting on the website. So you just go on the site and vote. But I understand the pressure that you have behind you asking for votes and looking for votes and then seeing all the other people you're competing with, like catching up to you. Like for our voting, you could see the numbers like just going up. Like you sleep. And wake up tomorrow, you were in the lead yeah. and somebody has beaten you like a thousand votes. Exactly, exactly. That was the same thing. Like, <laughs> I actually didn't buy votes at all, mm -hmm. but there was um, an option of voting. So you sleep and you're at the top and you wake up and someone has voted like more 500 votes and you're like, what? <laughs> Why am I going to get $100 right now? Like, it was crazy. I remember I came up the side the last the last day of voting. I came mm -hmm. up the side like people just bought a thousand, two thousand votes, and you're like, okay. So how did you end up winning then? If you were competing with people who were buying votes? Well, I <laughs> I felt good about that, but um, I think it was the performance because the performance has to contribute seventy percent. Okay. If you won on the vote, you got people's choice, the search for people's choice. Then also the performance mattered at the last day, the grand finale. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. You mentioned about being at the church mm -hmm. practicing piano. Um, playing piano, is it one of your hobbies and how did you start that? During the MAD company days, we had some the MAD are called our message, Abedinego. Daniel and Cedric. Okay, those are the powerful youth that we see in the Bible. So that was um, that was a group made at church. I choir. Like every Saturday, we would gather at Miracle Center Cathedral, and we would have fun as a youth. But then I used to be in the discipleship choir at still at Miracle Center. So after the whole practice, the whole singing, I'll just sit down on the piano and start playing. But I, by then, I did not have anyone that told me. I'll just do my thing there. Mm. And then my friends would, would be like, I think you can learn more if you get a teacher. Because I would just produce my own sound, but not knowing that I even did sound. So I spoke to a friend called Zumba Javon. He really gave me his time and he trained me. The other question I asked some, I asked a few people to send me questions to ask you. And uh, one of the questions was, how do you feel about being in pageantry? 
and how does that how do you find it so far there are many people out there like have this mindset that pageantry is playing is more of standing out there and shining but i realize that pageantry is actually work you have to step up you have to go out of your comfort zone like a lot of times and it also comes with challenges because not everyone wishes good for you it comes with a um, words like what is she doing like okay we voted for her what is she doing for us like there are a lot of challenges then it comes with a, a lot of wrong connections like if I think you are actually desperate at some point like then it comes with um, promises which like some people might promise you things but they will actually not do that like it comes with a lot of chaos and confusion but you have to still stand out because what I learned about life is at whichever point you are, you are someone's role model. And someone is actually looking up to you. Someone inside them, they're like, I really want to be like Mercy when I grow up. I want to talk like her. I want to walk like her. So I've had a lot of instances where I put it in my mind like someone is looking at me, up to me like their role model. So I have to get myself together. Yeah. and walk, not, not just talk, not just pretend, but actually be me regardless of every single thing. That's a good answer. And it's always good to know that somebody is looking up to you. Like, no matter where you are in your life, no matter what you have achieved in your life, somebody somewhere looks at you and admires your life where you are. Um, And it's always good to remember that in whatever you do, there's somebody behind uh, looking at you. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about was the. You said you are Muganda, and I saw you went to the Buganda Disability Day. How was that experience like? And tell us about that. Um, you know, in this life, when opportunities come our way, um, we embrace them, but we also learn from them. The Buganda Disability Day was that day that I got to realize that um, I'm not the most disabled person, like. I don't know how to bring it out, but it made, it made me look at things differently. Like there were people out there who barely had um, hands, barely could walk, like someone is moving, but they have to use their palms mm-hmm. to support them as their legs, but they're not hopeless. They still have hope for being better people. They're doing things like people out there were actually doing much, like coming up with different things. And it really gave me hope. Like there was also a gentleman who gave birth to the first child. He had grown, but then um, he became lame. The second child, the same story. The third child and the fourth child, like there was one that was growing, but then he was like he's also worried that this one might go into the the same situation but he had not lost hope his 20, the oldest son was 23 years old but he looked like he was 16 years old and they have to have wheelchairs to move them but they still had hope like it really really gave me hope and i looked at this people so jolly I got to interact with them. Like, they, they are so, so, so hopeful. So I had a feeling I'm like, okay, if 
people knew because you find someone on the street, they have their whole body, they can walk, they can do everything, but they are actually begging for money. And you find that the person with nothing, literally nothing, is at least striving to make themselves a match, to at least draw a painting using their foot. And I find that people need the message of hope a lot. The situation is not actually the worst. There are people going through a lot of tough times, but they've not lost hope. So who are you to lose hope? I feel people should rise to being hopeful because without the hope, then you're doomed. You can't do anything if you do not have hope. That is good. I'm I'm glad you talked about that and ended it with hope because that's that's something I advocate for on the podcast and just hope, love, peace, and just being kind to other people and you sharing about these disabled people that definitely you can tell they're disabled mm. but they're not hopeless they are hopeful and they're happy and sometimes you can see a smile on their face the other thing i wanted you to talk about i know you posted on it on your social on your instagram about smile for refugees the girls connect uh what's that about and uh, can you share with the listeners girls connect is um, a name i came up with one of the refugees in Uganda reached out and talked to me about Smile uh, for Refugees. That is his initiative. He has come up with it. So I actually asked him, why is it Smile for Refugees? He told me I am a refugee, but I really, really try to reach out to fellow refugees, like in postcoms. I also got to find out that host homes are places where refugees are kept, like, yeah, different homes. They can be like orphanages, but they're actually for refugees and not orphanages. So when you talk to me about advocating for pads and scholastic materials, I had to think about it. I had to sit down and tell him, okay, this is a good idea, but how can we implement it? He reached out to me as a partner. He wanted me to become his partner, and we came to agreement. We are we are advocating for girls connect. This is something that we we would like. Fred, like we wouldn't want it to be there like once, like maybe February fifth, like only once. But we would like it to keep going on and on. We want to call upon sponsors, like people who feel that there are really girls deep down there that have never even seen what a pad looks like. There are girls that don't know that the pads actually exist. They know of uh, clothes, like some, some girls, on the, they use dirty clothes. They don't even know cotton. Mm-hmm. Like, how about if, if one person can actually pay or contribute a pad, how would that be? Mm-hmm. Or if each and every person would be like, I'm contributing like five parts. Those are like three girls that you have helped because this the dirtiness, if we are to look at the girls, it is very key to be clean if you are a girl. So there are people down there, there are refugees, there are orphans, there are students that do not know something. And this is what we want to implement. Like, we might not be able to reach out to each and every person, each and every girl down there in, like, in the most, most, most isolated villages, because that is our target. There is targeting the uh, centralized areas, 
and we find that orphanages in centralized areas already have people that are giving out to them. They think about them even without you advocating for it. But there are people down there, like there are people deep in the villages that no one is actually looking at. So those are the people we are targeting and we are organizing a launch that I'll be communicating. We are organizing a launch for this project. I wouldn't want to call it small. I love men, I love boys, I love nurturing boys because I believe that in case you nurture a boy, you are protecting the society. In case we have more responsible men, more down-to-earth men, more humble, more hardworking, you find that the society is also safe. But I would also love the girl child that is not yet up here because we find that there is a lot of emancipation in women, but then there are areas that we have forgotten and we have not reached out to. Those are the people that I really, really would like to assist. Today's episode is sponsored by Dance of Gamers. Dance of Gamers is the leading distributor of video games and other consumer gadgets like the podcast microphone set, ring lights, headphones, and affordable smartwatches, and many other cool gadgets. For these and more, visit their website at www.danceofgamers.co. That is www.danceofgamers.co. So my other question I was going to ask you was, how do your friend how do your parents feel about you being in pageantry? And you talked about you grew up in a Christian home. Your dad is a pastor. Also, how are they feeling about yeah, in, in modeling? Okay, my parents, I'll say they are proud of me. Because I discovered modeling is not about exposing your body or walking around naked. comes by choice. So you decide if like, which kind of texture you would like to move with which kind of person would you be in case you're running down the aisle? I remember my dad was like, thank you so much for being decent. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) okay, yeah. So they are proud of me. They feel happy to have a queen in the house. Mm -hmm. My grandparents, my judge, she's like, am I going to get back to you? I'm like, no, you get back to my dad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's all like at home at work yeah they, they are happy and they support me a lot not financially i'll say but prayers work a lot i'd say i've learned that even someone's positivity can lead you to stand up on your feet i remember my sister she, she was contesting for miss africa kalaba uganda she actually passed through as Miss Africa Color by Uganda, then they went to Nigeria for more competitions. But then I was down and actually talked to her, I told her, Zoan, I feel I'm tired. I'm fed up of this. It's stressing. It's really draining me. And she told me, if you're looking for anyone to lift you, to support you, no one is going to come. So it's up to you to pick up your socks and arrive and fight for yourself. That's really good. Now uh, we're coming close to the end of this and I have questions left. One of the questions is, what is a life lesson you've learned in life to this point? To this point, I've learned to be humble. You never know when you're going to meet someone. Yeah. You never know when that person is going to be of help to you. 
the moment you are not humble, the moment they have that history about you, the moment they know that you have been showing off, you never know at any point. And not everyone is going to tell you, I am this, I do this. You never know who you're talking to. So being humble is key. Helping people is key, like being friendly, being approachable, being down on us. I love people that are down on us regardless. And I have always taken off that. Being humble, it can move your places. It can talk for you even when you have not said a word. That is what I've learned. That is, that is good. And it's definitely true. And just being humble can take you to different and a lot of places in life. Um, what gets you excited about life? What gets me excited about life? Okay, that is something that I've not thought about. Mm-hmm. But deep down, I know that knowing that I have people that care about me, in case I'm not online, I'll get calls. Are you okay? Have you, how is your night? Like there are people that continuously care about you. So those people keep me moving. The people that believe in me, they really keep me excited because you'd be like, okay, if I give up at this point, which example am I setting? Mm-hmm. So those people are the reasons why I keep moving and moving and moving. My siblings, parents, my friends. I have, I have friends that I cannot exchange for anything. Yeah. Those people keep me excited all the way, like starting from the security people mm-hmm. that are my friends to the last, last person, maybe the cleaners. Oh my God, I mm-hmm. love them so much. The final question is, who would you like to see on my podcast next? And you will help me to find that person to be a guest on here. I have a lot of people, but um, in particular, I met, I have this person. He's now a pastor, but um, he used to fight with masturbation, like those things that people will fear to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like, I love it that he comes out clean. He wants to change lives through his own experience. Because think about it, someone coming and telling you, I used to be a prostitute. Like, that is a lot of courage. So him coming out and is like, I used to watch a lot of pornography. I used to do a lot of masturbation. And I do not do that at all now. Oh, my God. That is a lot of courage. He's called Malay Jonathan. He's getting married soon. I'd really love to see him on your podcast. I believe he has words of hope that can really reach out to very many people. Yeah, we'll work together to see that we get him on the podcast. So, Masi, thank you very much uh, for your time and making it happen and finally getting to record this podcast so i appreciate you and i hope my listeners are going to learn a lot from your story and what you shared with us today thank you too oh i have something else <laughs> i remembered another friend who's a refugee i feel he also has something in him he has not given up on life since he was abandoned since he became a refugee and he is changing lives. I would also really love to see him on your podcast. All right. Yeah. Thank you. You're going to connect me to all of them and I'll reach out to them and see, get them on the podcast. Thank you so much, Bonnie. It was nice having you and talking to you. Thank you so much. All right. Keep in touch. 
Hey there,、uh, this is Bonnie Kibuka, the host of the Ugandan Boy Talk Show. Thanks for watching and listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend and recommend somebody to this podcast. Don't forget to leave a feedback on this podcast because that's how we grow. And also, don't forget to share, like, subscribe, and comment. Join us on our social media platforms on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. So, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you very much and be blessed.